This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. He has one of the most famous names, not only in Kansas City sports, but in sports in general. Lamar Hunt Jr., named after his father, Lamar, who created basically what the NFL is today. And of course, the Hunt family came up with the name the Super Bowl. A very influential family from the beginning of time when the NFL first started to where it is today. Without the Hunts, who knows what America's favorite sport looks like if they weren't involved. It's time for the next episode of the KC Bobcast, and we sit down with Mavericks owner and partner with the Chiefs, Lamar Hunt Jr. Well, when we started these podcasts, it was all about getting inside the minds of people and what they do in the community. And it seems like, Lamar, like every charity event I go to, you're there. Every charity event I go to, the Mavericks are well represented. You guys have really embraced kind of the charity aspect side of things, both you individually and with the Mavericks as well. What kind of prompted you to say, we're getting involved in everything here in Kansas City? Well, (laughs) I don't know about everything, but on a personal level, I think sports is a really good platform because it's it's visual people see it they follow it they want to connect with something and so when you when you partner with a charity or a charitable concern or what we call social concerns what happens is people it brings it to the forefront like boys and girls club is one that's kind of become near and dear to our heart with the mavericks you know the dinner on ice coming up on uh, november 14th i believe i hope i have that date right but it's a very unique event and and what the boys and girls club does is really good it's really good stuff you're helping kids at risk and you change the sort of direction of their lives. Have you seen you know, lives change with these charities that you've been involved in from Variety that, that I saw you at a few weeks ago to the Boys and Girls Club? Do you have a couple of those moments where you look at a child and like, man, we really made a difference for somebody? Well, I mean, I think it's possibly for sure. I mean, I don't live in their lives. Yeah. Um, but I think giving people hope and dignity is really what it's about with something through variety that you know they have a kid they have something some people would consider a big burden in life that they have to carry through life and and so to make it a little easier to make the road a little easier for these families and these kids and and help them feel a part of something is brings joy to the parents and and, and hopefully the kids how do you decide what you're going to be involved in because i'm sure especially with your name with the chiefs organization now with the mavericks organization you get people hey we need this we want that how do you start to decide and funnel hey i'm going to help this charity and i'm going to help this charity well i think in general we've been a lot about education and children i mean the 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 hunt family foundation at the chiefs is 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 obviously about kids and helping kids and that's why they're involved in in certain programs there uh on a personal level generally it's faith-based education catholic education is what we've been real involved in scholarships at places like bishop ward and things like that we're such superb outcomes for the kids they're going to go to college they're going to get that leg up to go on to the next thing in their life and really feel that they have the confidence to do that as far as the mavericks i mean we can be overwhelmed a little bit with stuff because we're a smaller team and again it just kind of comes down to what makes sense sort of in the independence community boys and girls club that unit out in independence we were just there the other day with an event and I, I think that's why we, we, we make those decisions. We do say no sometimes. Yeah, but I, I, 
I see I see the mascot, you know, he's in everything and it always comes up and takes pictures. I mean like like stuff like that has such an impression on kids that I don't think people really understand until they see it. The way the kids react and the joy that, you know, just a little thing like that can bring to a lot of people. Yeah, I mean uh, Mac, the mascot yeah. is, is comparable. I mean no, no one's going to surpass Casey Wolf. I mean that that concept that idea that that individual that's done that for years is is a icon in the sports business. Really, you would have to say that. And so Casey Wolf sort of I think has learned from that. I mean, I'm sorry, Mac, the Mavericks mascot, has learned from that. Mac and Cheese, actually, male and female, yeah. have learned from that that sort of engagement with kids. I've seen kids though shy away from Mac and because it's a little big and foreboding, the, yeah. but the little ones sort of look up big-eyed like, "What is this?" Because they can't quite separate truth from and reality there, sure. so to speak. We we had that with our kids originally. We're like, "All right, there's this person in there. It's okay. It's not a yeah. big. It's, yeah. it's not a big horse or a or a big wolf or a big lion running around. It's just a person inside that costume." And I think once we told them that, they're like, "Oh, okay. I'm good with that. I, I can go up and talk to that you yeah. know, animal or whatever that is." I have a six-year-old granddaughter named Claire who it's taken her a couple. of two three years to get solid with mac but now yeah. she's unabashed you guys have, are, are doing a lot with your company the loretto companies that people don't know with the four different foundation branches you know you've got the commercial side the sports side the property side of things i mean you're really involved in a ton here in kansas city and and, and really in the area how do you keep time for for doing four different branches to one company that involves so many just kind of different things? Have good people who work for you and, yes, and do yeah. what you say. Yeah. Uh, that's part of it is having good people. I mean, I, I I think we make we're trying to make wise decisions on those sorts of things, like any like anybody that's investing. But I mean, obviously the the foundation is a give back. The commercial and residential properties are something that are opportunities, you know, to add to the community, to add value, to create value, to, to re, you know, redo properties and things like that, which we've done a little of. And then the sports part of it is really more the hockey and growing what we're going to call the hockey ecosystem at this point. You know, trying to get more sheets of ice, trying to really strengthen the youth participation in hockey and try to add that those teams and those tournaments in Kansas City that makes this a destination for hockey. Well, and, and that's what I think I'm most fascinated with and what you're trying to do with hockey. And I know people are like, let's talk Chiefs, let's talk Mahomes, oh, and we sure. will. We'll get oh, yeah, to that. Sure, but that's to, fun. To me, <laughs> what you're doing with hockey and... Correct me if I'm wrong. I could be totally off base by this, but it kind of reminds me of what your dad did with soccer in the United States of America and trying to grow the game of soccer in the United States. But you're trying to grow the game of hockey here in Kansas City, not yeah. necessarily you know United States wise. Yeah. But if some of what you're doing has to be based on what you saw your dad do with soccer, sure, you get the idea about how to go about it and how to do it. Um, hockey in Kansas City is really not as mature as it should and could be. You know, we have a lot of evidence. There's a lot of people who want to skate, a lot of kids who want to get on the ice. We have a lot of adults that want to play in adult leagues. We just lack the ice. So the first step is to not cannibalize what already exists, but strategically have placement of ice rinks or ice arenas or whatever you want to call them in areas of the town where we know people are going to show up and give it a try and once they get hooked they're going to like it so so where are we right now with hockey from when you took over the Mavs a couple of years ago to where we are today and, and your involvement in growing this game how much have we seen it grow in Kansas City well I mean we can base some things on just the Mavericks and their sort of continued presence in the community we're, we're in our 10th season which puts us one year short of the Blades, and we're not anywhere near close to being what the Blades were as far as a business. We're way ahead of that. You know, the Blades were at this point getting ready to go out of business. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, as sad as that is. And, and we have the right size arena, the right place, the right time, a new lease in place, so we're committed for another six years with, at that arena. Um, what we're trying to develop is something in Johnson County, obviously, that's very nice areas. Mm -hmm. uh, we're sitting in Johnson County as we do this, and Olathe has a project that we're going to have a smaller arena with a, two sheets of ice, and again, just try to attract that Johnson crowd Johnson County crowd. We also own the team in Topeka and the North American Hockey League, the NAHL, which is the only tier two accredited league in the United States by USA Hockey. I think major junior hockey in Canada would be the equivalent. Uh -huh. um, in fact, we just had two players sign Division One scholarships with Ferris State University. Nice. So that's what we're doing. We're developing those. So, and we'd like to get another sheet of ice out there. So we have a community sheet as well as we have the arena that we play in. But the arena is not always available. Right. So, so. We're where we are now, you've got the Independence Event Center, a couple of other pieces of scattered ice around this new arena that's going to be put in Olathe. You're not stopping after that, right? There's still room for more ice and more growth with hockey once that Olathe arena is going to open in a couple of years. Well, it's hard to know. We just want to take it one year at a time or maybe a hunk of time, a 24-month period, and get it up and going and see the response. The, the, the logical step there is to be able to attract these tournaments where they have 32 or 64 teams come into Kansas City and they spend a weekend or a week here or however they do it. I'm not always sure about the particulars. And they, they skate and they play. I have more parents come up to me and say, can, you get, can we have more ice? I always have to go to St. Louis. And St. Louis has a lot of sheets of ice, and it does a good job. But we have we have enough of a dynamic that we would draw from all over the Midwest because Kansas City is a fun place to come visit and hang out. Yeah, it is, and it seems like it seems like you're slow playing this. Like you're not <laughs> you're not like jumping in and going, we need ten sheets, and we're building ten no. sheets, and over committing. It's like we'll do this, and then when we're ready, we'll do that. So yeah. where ultimately do you want to see? the sport of hockey in Kansas City, let's say 10 years from now, where do you want to see the sport? Oh, you know, people have asked me this and said, oh, well, you know, are we ripe for an NHL team or things like that? And that's that's a discussion that somebody else can handle and take on and, and maybe even a business they can do. I mean, I think I'd like to see the Mavericks continue to grow and become sort of a household name all over the community. Sort of a little bit like Sporting KC, a little bit, that, yeah. that people would recognize, wait, this is a really fun thing to go to. I mean, if you go to a sporting game, it's a lot of fun. Sure. It's a great environment, it's good soccer, and everybody has a good time. And I think you can say the same thing about the Mavericks, but we need to really continue to get that brand into other parts of the community. You know, we, we sort of struggle with the name, the Missouri Mavericks, for a period of time. And I, and I think that confused people, like, well, where exactly is that? Is it near St. Louis? Where, where is that? So changing the name to Kansas City and things like that have been very, very helpful. I could see that on our opening game. You know, we had a little over 5,000 in the, in the building, and you can just, a lot of people were there for their very first game just to check it out. Yeah. And young people, too. Do you ever see anybody leave a Mavs game, though, and go, boy, I didn't have a good time? Because even if you're not a <laughs> hockey fan, I tell people all the time, I've never been. I go, once you go to a hockey game, it's like you're bit by that bug, and you yeah. want to just keep going back. And I know my kids at 7 and 8 like, when are we going to the next Mavs game? That's they fun. love going out there. Yeah, uh, cool. I appreciate that. Well, I, sure. I mean, the, the, the thing is we've got to create casual fans. I think yeah. all of sports – whether this is minor professional, what we're talking about with the Mavericks, all the way through the big leagues, we've got to create these casual fans, more and more people, to get them to come out. You know, I always say this, don't be a couch potato. You can watch anything on the TV, but come out and experience baseball or football or hockey or soccer or basketball. Live is so much better, and, and you encounter a community of people that really are passionate. You mentioned the casual fan, and I think that's so interesting because 
I've been saying for a while now, sports has the P1 fans, the, the diehards. They're there. They're going to be going. They'll find their way there. They will. <laughs> but it's the casual fan that you guys really, in, in all sports, including the NFL, Absolutely. that you guys have to target. So how do you target a guy like me who lives in Johnson County, he's got two daughters, a wife, you know, does all that kind of stuff. How do you target that casual fan and get them to come to an event to experience what you guys are doing? I, I think one of the, the routes that we're going to look at very carefully is we do a school day game. Um, that's November 13th this year, and it's basically sold out. And we work with a lot of the schools that are around the Silverstein Ice Center Arena. Right. Right. So that's those Missouri school districts over there. What we need to do is be intentional and get the kids from some of the Johnson County schools. It's, we usually target as third through fifth graders, and we have a little packet of information. It might be a geography exercise. That's to be related to school, mm-hmm. but there'll be some sort of curriculum with right. it. Right. And so we need to be more intentional about. For example, maybe developing a second school day game. I hope our GM's not listening, but, but <laughs> no, he might be. But, but the point being, we need to be more intentional and engage people and just, oh, wow, I didn't know this existed. Hey, Mom and Dad, I went to this. I'd like to go again. Okay, Mom and Dad, go. And then the other thing is just growing the sport with the parents, which they've done a pretty good job with in soccer, is once the parents are hooked into the sport they'll they'll become a casual fan they don't have that much time to go see games because they're usually dealing with their kids games right you know so do you envision a day where once that arena on Olathe opens you play some games over there to try to grab that crowd versus playing all your games in independence kind of a I don't want to say like the Kansas City Omaha Kings but kind of a dual residency to try to get all of the city embraced into the sport the, the idea of the arena in Olathe and owning the Topeka Pilot, what is now the Topeka Pilots, formerly the Topeka Roadrunners, is we're not going to have Division One or Division Three hockey in this area in the foreseeable future. I don't know how You're that... You're talking collegiately. Collegiately. Yeah. I don't know how that could happen. So the guys that play, that are going to be playing in Olathe, guys and gals, by the way, we've got... Uh, female locker rooms being included in this there's a push for that for sure we have to have it yeah but the teams that play in Topeka and Olathe are are part of what's called the North American Hockey League and I said that earlier it's tier two accredited by the USA Hockey that is our really collegiate hockey here Um, these guys are are committing to division one division three scholarships that's what we're about it's I think it's called the League of Opportunity that's what we're called. And so that's what we really want to see is this sort of collegial style of hockey and helping kids reach that next level. So so that's that's what the Olathe side is going to be it focused will be, on, yeah. a different type of hockey. Yeah. And, and because I, I think that's interesting because I think people see, all right, there's minor leagues and then there's the National yeah. Hockey League. What else is there out there? <laughs> and you're of the, uh, I guess, the telling everybody, letting everybody know yeah. that there's so much more to hockey and so many different levels of hockey that you can come see and watch and be part of. Sure. I mean, in the United States, our, our junior programs, what again, what Canada has the equivalent of major junior, are extremely competitive. We have kids from Canada and from Sweden and from Denmark and from Russia and from different countries coming here to play junior, what we'll call junior hockey, whether it be in the United States Hockey League, the USHL, or the North American Hockey League, the NAHL. So so that's, I mean, it's a tribute. We, we really have, even on the Mavericks this year, we have more Americans than Canadians, and our team feeds into, into Calgary. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, let's look at the you, – you mentioned NHL briefly, and, and yeah. I just want to gauge you as a businessman who's part owner of a team in town, owner of another team in town. You get the pulse of the sports scene in Kansas City, the business scene. People ask us all the time, when are we getting that tenant to Sprint Center? I don't know that we're ready for another team. Do you feel that Kansas City is ready for another professional franchise? No, I don't. It would be extremely hard to absorb that from a sponsorship sort of internal you know, media-type deals that you have to make for hockey. Uh, NHL teams really much depend on those local television rights contracts, much like baseball does. Sure. The NFL is, you know, national. Everything's national. You know, it's like what, what they've done with the Chiefs on this coming Sunday night. Hey, we need a great game. This is the highest-rated TV show of the week. We're putting the Chiefs and the Bengals on because that's going to really draw a lot of eyeballs. But in baseball and in, 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 in the National Hockey League, You've got these local deals, and I think it would be very hard to get that kind of local deal that you would need to really make it financially viable. And I also think you'd be limited on the sponsorships. I think people would, sponsors in particular, would feel like, well, I'm, you know, I'm already doing baseball. I'm already involved with football. I've got commitments to Sporting KC. I think it would be a reach. Um, great sports town. The Sprint Center, my understanding is they don't really need an anchor tenant. They're, they're they're top 10 or top 20 arena doing what they're doing and yep. it's it's a great venue for that so f- from from your standpoint just general speaking i guess how much money would it take to bring another franchise here like what would you need to say yeah i'm committed to doing this and doing a, a hockey team? not maybe you but just in general so the franchise fee for las vegas was 600 million dollars mm-hmm. so i assume seattle which is getting ready to start a team, right. a $600 million franchise fee. And then I I don't have any idea what the working capital is. I have not done that pro forma. Yeah. <laughs> so so you have no interest in yourself of expanding eventually? Because everybody just assumes Lamar Hunt's going to eventually take all of this and then bring an NHL team to Kansas City, you know? <laughs> that, that's that's wonderful for people to think about. and. But I just don't. I don't think. I don't think it would work in Kansas City. I think we would. We would really struggle. And it's 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 an, a, a commitment. And quite frankly, given my age and where my kids are in their lives, they're all young adults. I think they'd all look at me and our family or whatever you want to say and say, "You guys are crazy." Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's really not something that's there. If if you wanted to do the team though, and then let me run it and take care of everything, <laughs> you just fund it. I'll be more than happy. Yeah. I'm only 41 years old. I got a lot of oh, life. Oh, you are. You are a youngster. So I'm very young. I can handle that for you if you want. Um, what's the best? I got way- more hair than you. All right. Yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> What's the best way that you've seen somebody spend your money? Like where they go, oh, yeah, Lamar Hunt should just do that. Lamar Hunt should buy that. Like has there been something where you just looked at it and went, man, you're spending my money in a great way? Are you talking about like charities? No, and just like, that? like like a sports team or something like that. Like we're talking NHL. People think you should be bringing the NHL. Oh, here, oh, know? yeah. Uh, nah, it's, I, I don't know. I don't even know how to answer that. I mean, yeah. I, I think a lot of these teams now have ownership groups. You know, I, I just saw something the other day about the Columbus Crew, which our family owned from 1996 to 2013, that the owner of the Cleveland Browns and the doctor of the team are putting an ownership group together to try to buy it so they'll keep the Columbus Crew in Columbus. Uh-huh. Wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, but it's all groups of people that, you know, get involved. I think the Miami Dolphins have 
ownerships with um, celebrities in some cases. So, um, you know, that's how it's working. You guys are unique. You, you know, it's the Hunt family. It's the Mara family. It's the Rooney family. Yeah. I mean, people, it doesn't happen like that anymore. And I, I, I read a quote from you where you say, sometimes I think I was born on third base and stole home. <laughs> Correct. And I read that and I go, <laughs> I love that quote because... You get it. Like, you understand yeah. your, your, what was given to you and how you were just kind of born into, you know, the Hunt family and had that opportunity. And you don't seem to abuse that like maybe some others do that are just given, you know, an NFL franchise, you know? Well, I mean, we grew up with it. I mean, I, I guess you could say it's in our DNA or our genetic wiring or whatever. I mean, you to, to know my dad is to know this is what sort of – got him out of bed every day and, and made him happy and enthusiastic about life and really generous with people. Yeah, He was a generous person with his time and with everything that he did. And so I think you grow up around it, you catch it, right? Um, I have an aunt who's still alive and she said to know Lamar was, was to really love him. You know, he, he was just a, a gentle soul. And so we grew up around sports, so I think we kind of know how to operate it. We know when to hopefully have some sense of humility and thankfulness and also sometimes when we have to assert ourselves and and, and be bold and be strong about stuff you, you guys as a whole family though seemingly aren't bold aren't out there aren't crazy like you see a lot of kids that are born into money or become total failures it's like you look at your entire family all of your siblings you're like everybody's successful in, in their own individual ways from Clark to you to yeah. Daniel to your sister I mean like it's amazing that everybody has kind of gone out on their own done their own thing but yet still have this team to bond over. yeah everybody sort of has their own interests and things and passions that they took up at different times in their life and still do uh, I mean I think of my sister Sharon she's She's, she actually can play the piano, okay, but now she wants to understand music theory better. So she's trying to take some time to do that. But she's still raising kids and stuff. So, I mean, and Clark has his own interests as well, as does Daniel. Daniel is really focused on the soccer, FC Dallas. Yep. But, but everything is done in a sort of understated manner. I mean, it's really surrounding yourself. It, it sounds like a cliche, but I have to pretend, and I think we all need not pretend. We need to be genuine and say, I don't know everything. I don't know anything, and that the people you hire, the people around you, actually know more about running your business than you do. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's when you reach the level of success, though, when you yeah. can realize, you know what? That guy knows more than me. I'm okay. Like, I always thought Dick Vermeil was that way. That guy, Al Saunders, he knows a lot more about <laughs> offense than I do. I'm going to let him run the thing, and I'm going to stand yeah. over here and do whatever it is yeah. that I do, you know? Yeah, exactly. I, I think, but I, can, I think it's a maturation for all of them. Yeah. You know, I think it's at one point early in his career, Dick would tell you, "I'm sleeping in the office and I'm not letting one detail slip by me." But his second go round as a coach, it was much more like I'm sort of like an orchestra conductor. You know how to play your instrument. I'm just going to wave my baton and let's get it going. That's why I think I would be a good NFL head coach because I know what I don't know and I would hire the right people around me. Don't you think I would be a good coach? Oh, sure. You can give it a shot. Thank you. I appreciate it. There's an owner of a team telling me I can give it a shot. So I, I do appreciate that. But I, I also saw this other quote. I don't know if it's attributed to you. I think it was. But it's not about you is, is what you say. And I think that kind of sums up a lot of what you're about because most of what you do isn't about you right I mean that that line is from a book that everybody knows by Rick Warren the purpose-driven life and I think this is the first sentence in the book it's not about you and I've, I've not read the entire book and obviously it's a wonderful book it's one of the best-selling books of all time and I, and I think that's listen we're built for relationship we really yeah. are and and if we don't have good relationships 
um, life's going to be a struggle. And my dad said that many, many times. One of the things I always remember, he said, the human relationships, preserving the human relationships are really more important than all the falderall and fighting and infighting that goes on. And I think he's right. As I've gotten older, I see that. It takes a lot longer in life to realize that. They're like, when you're in your 20s, you don't realize relationships matter and how important they are. And then you get older and you start to put things into perspective that relationships probably are pretty much key to everything and everybody's success. Right, and you found out you start to own some of the times when you were, you know, didn't do so well in a relationship or it didn't turn out like you thought or you said something or you did something. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, what was I saying? What was I thinking? Right. We'll get back to our conversation with Lamar Hunt Jr. in a moment. But first, I want to tell you about Red Door Grill and what makes it so awesome. Well, there are many things that make Red Door Grill so awesome. Where do we begin? Let's start with the weekday happy hours. Every weekday from 4 until 7, you'll find great deals on house-made margaritas, house-made mojitos. They're just $5 a piece. You can even get a Bud Light or a Red Door Amber Ale for $2.50. Plus, you're going to find deals on all appetizers on their menu. My kids love those pretzel sticks. I absolutely love the calamari, and my wife is all into that hummus. And then you've got $5 burgers on Monday and jalapeno dip fried chicken every single Thursday. Couple that with the best weekend brunch, and Red Door Grill truly has something for everyone. And now, with three locations, they're close to everybody. They've got a location in Leewood, Overland Park, and in the heart of Brookside. Plus, you can even check out their menu and order online at reddoorgrill.com. So for the next time you're thinking about brunch on the weekends, you're thinking about a great happy hour, Monday through Friday from 4 to 7, where you're craving that jalapeno dip fried chicken on Thursday, make it Red Door Grill, and we'll see you at Red Door tonight. You've had quite a life, and like I said, we'll get to the Chiefs here in a moment, but I was listening to one of your flute solos online the other day. I found it. I'm like, I'm going to listen to this. Good job. And it was from like 1980, maybe? It was a Bach uh, concerto number two or something? The Bach sonatas, uh, they were recorded. Let me think about this. In 1990. 1990. Because I have a daughter who's 28, and they were recorded the same month in October of 1990. She was born... I think earlier in the month, and then we just went and laid it down in a church. We yeah. recorded it at a church. And I, I was telling Ryan, I said, I listened to it like about three or four times yesterday, and each time it sounded different to me. And I'm listening <laughs> to this, I'm like, this is just really relaxing. How did you become such an accomplished musician? Well, I mean, what we talked about a little earlier is I think in our family, we all had opportunity. We really did. And I had a blessing and an opportunity to go to a private boys' school. I went there for 10 years, from third grade through 12th grade. And and at that time, that was basically, what, 1965 to 1975, the the curriculum and things like that was was really rigorous. And so you you were introduced to things like music and art history and all the arts. I mean, I remember having to be in a play called The Hobbit. Uh, it's that J.R. Tolkien, and it was just kind of it was insufferable that I had to be out there on the stage as a little kid. You know, I could just remember like this isn't fun. But everybody was introduced to music. You learned to read music just like you learned to read and write. And then you you know they had you pick an instrument. And so I got to be in a band and in an orchestra. And I guess I just took to it. I found out I was good, and I started taking lessons. Again, had good teachers. Was able to study with somebody in the Dallas Symphony. I definitely put my ten thousand hours in on it and worked at it and worked at it was fortunate and was able to play in the Kansas City Symphony and with some other orchestras and do opera and ballet and 
and then do chamber music and be able to do something like that CD. I, I mean, it's a, I, I look back on it today and just pinch myself like, wow, did I really do that? Do you still play? Or no, do you, you, no. Do you don't at all? No. You're done. Why no. did you give it up? I mean, it's sort of like, like asking, I guess, I'm not Joe Mon. I'm not the Joe Montana of the flute, but I don't think you'd say to Joe Montana, "Do you still go out and play some football?" Yeah. You just, I think, when you sort of lose your your conditioning on it, you think, "Oh man, it's going to take so much effort and work to build back up." Um, and the last thing I did was a memorial service for a music, my very first and most important music teacher who died, and that was about three years ago. Yeah. He was he was 83 when he passed, and so they asked me to come play, and that was it. What would your dad say about Patrick Mahomes right now? What would he say about watching this kid play quarterback for the Chiefs? Shaja Manina, he is awesome. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't even know. He used to use that word. Uh, Shaja Manina. Shaja Manina. Is, is that say. a real word, or is that something he just made up? I don't know. I think I think it's something. I don't know. I don't know if it's a real word or not. I mean, I would just hear him say that. I, gosh, I just think he would think it would be so much fun and uh, amazed. I mean, remember, he grew up playing football back when running the football, You maybe would you pass 10, 15 times a game yeah. at the most? Uh, even Johnny Unitas, when you look at his statistics, you know, he his passing was always very precise and very accurate, but it wasn't that often. So I, I think that he would be he would be in wonderment at, at not only Mahomes' ability, his at his ability to ad lib and make plays, but the whole league. I mean, we're seeing this all over the league now. We're we're seeing a lot of points, a lot of yards, a lot of open receivers, and a lot of quarterbacks that can just flat throw it. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun, and it's like I know a lot of Chiefs fans, and I'm sure you're kind of like this way. It's like finally we got our guy right <laughs> well yeah yeah of course yeah. of course it's exciting i mean it was always with trepidation that you draft a quarterback high in any in the first round i mean all teams go through this every team goes through this it's kind of like you make your pick and i'm sure hold your breath and just say oh please let it happen but i think patrick came into the right situation and the coaches handled him well and you know alex smith a hat a tip of the hat to him for his humility understanding of how to interact with this kid and help him and I think Patrick would say the same thing it was a great learning experience but he's ready he yeah there's no doubt he's ready why did it take 30 years between drafting those quarterbacks for this organization <laughs> that I don't know the answer to all those questions I can the one I can remember the most was Todd Blackledge yeah and picking him and we passed on Dan Marino and uh, and Todd never really um, developed into the quarterback that we hoped he would be and I'm sure he would say the same thing about himself and we always had Bill Kenny sort of throwing for a lot of yards and, and making a lot of plays and, and putting some pretty good teams on the field um, and, and Todd never and so I don't know we just we kind of got into a, a cycle from the way you look at it is just looking at quarterbacks that could come in and help us immediately and there was a lot of success with that sure. approach. Was there a fear factor of drafting that quarterback again in the first round? Because I know I would be gun shy, like, oh my, we swung and missed on this one. All right, we got Steve Bono. All right, we get Alex Smith, or you know, somebody that we know has had a little bit of success in the NFL. You don't have to worry about spending that valuable first round pick and seeing the guy go down to flames because a lot of these dudes do go down in flames. They do, and teams can sometimes suffer through a first couple of seasons with a, a quarterback, even a, even a John Elway or a Peyton Manning or a Troy Aikman. There was suffering that went on with those franchises, but there was a belief in their talent and that they had to play. I think what's a little different today is the college game is translating a little bit better into the pro game. And so some of these guys are more adaptable. You know, in other words, Patrick does have certainly, I'm sure, a rigid 
offensive scheme he has to stay within, but then there's also the creativity, and I think that's the genius of Coach Reed and the, and the, and the staff of saying, look, we can turn this guy loose and he can do some things that may look like college, but it's really effective in the pros. Do you watch him as a fan too, or you just sit there and go, wow, this is so awesome. I love watching every minute of this. Um, Well, you know what I would say, and you didn't ask it that way, but the biggest surprise for me is his escapability. Uh, And escapability to me is making plays with his feet and his head on the run you know, and not taking sacks and things like that. Yeah, we've had a couple of more recent negative plays with interceptions. Yeah. But that's that's part of growing up in the league. You're going to get picked because there's a lot of talent back there that's looking for that ball. But, I mean, I just think his escapability is what just takes your breath away. It's like, oh, my gosh, what's he going to do next? And then his ability to square his shoulders but throw with really odd angles. You know, the other night he made a throw. And his shoulders were so square, but the arm comes around like, I don't know, a baseball player or whatever you want to compare it to, and it was brilliant. Great throw. Do you like when he throws left-handed, too? (laughs) Well, as long as it works. (laughs) Right. My wife was so funny because we're sitting there watching the New England game, and he threw that second interception in the end zone, and she starts, yeah, why is he throwing that? I go, you need to chill out. I said, this is who he is. This is what he's going to do. He's going to take the chances, and when he makes that great throw and that great play, you're standing there cheering with them. And she goes, yeah, you know, you're right about that. I got to understand that. Like, I'm okay with the interceptions because I know there are so many other plays that happen that are just so amazing. And if he didn't take those chances, we wouldn't see those type of plays. Exactly. And, I, I mean, I, I, Tony Dungy, who's a great coach, great former coach, said, oh, maybe the game is too big for him. And then when Patrick came out in the second half, I, I think he probably wanted to retract those words by saying no the game's not too big for him right you know my only thought in that game and maybe you can relate to this is when we scored with about three three and a half minutes left it was almost as if new england said we're going to let him score because we know when we get the ball with three minutes left we haven't punted all evening we're going to go down and score i I don't know how how you all felt about that but i almost thought i wonder if bill belichick just let us kind of score there so quick because they didn't want us to chew the clock up on them. I wondered about that. Well, with 3.03 to go in the game and Tom Brady has the ball, you're thinking to yourself, oh, this isn't good, right? Only <laughs> needing a field goal. Right, only that needing was a the field issue. goal. That was the big you know, issue. If they right just there. needed a, if they needed a touchdown, it still might have been difficult, but only needing a field goal, I wondered if that was the, the card he played. Just, let's let him I don't know if they actually explicitly say that, but, man, Tyreek Hill was so open on that play. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not in the camp of, you know, you, you score too fast. I'm all about just scoring whenever you can, man. you got to take the points when you can get them. You yeah, know? I agree. I agree. So, no, I we, we, had to, we had to tie the game. Yeah, right. you got to tie it before you can win it. <laughs> yeah. you, know? you got to tie yeah. it before you can but win it. But still, it's an interesting – I mean, you just – I don't know if you they're, – they're pretty good strategic thinkers on that team. Oh, yeah, they yeah. are. It's I mean, fun. It's, it's, it's crazy to watch a Bill Belichick coach team because you never know what you're going to get, and having 10 days to prepare for a team is yeah. a little bit too much to allow a guy like that, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the game was too close for comfort for him too, though. Yeah, it was. But it, it, we're legit. I mean, what's wonderful to see is I think we're legit. We can play at the very highest level of the league. We'll get our chance against them or the Steelers or whoever it's be, or, or the Bengals this week. Whoever it's going to be, we're going to be ready. It seems to me... Like, I've been doing this for for almost 20 years in this town now. And a Monday after a Chiefs loss, people are normally gut-punched and depressed. The Monday after New England, everybody's like, that was awesome. That was great. Like, people had a more renewed sense of optimism and joy yeah. after that game 
than maybe they did even for some of the wins that came before that, you know? I, I think so. I mean, I got, you know, I have a lot of friends in different places in the country and in Kansas City, and I got a lot of texts and people said, that's a loss I can accept. You know, that was a moral victory or whatever, you know, whatever the cliches are that roll off yeah. texting and, and people's tongues. <laughs> yeah. So. Did you, do you feel that way? Oh, I would have liked, we need to beat those guys every time we play them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel about New England like some people may feel about Denver and Oakland. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I want to beat them. I, I think New England and Denver are more of a rival now than Oakland is. Yeah, I just, I just, I'm putting New England at the top. They're the, they're the team we got to beat. And, um, you know, we know they're going to be there at the end. And, you know, it's a long season still. So, yeah, let's get there. Do you get mad like we do watching the defense at times? Um, I, I, I don't I don't know what to make of any of it. I mean, some sometimes injuries do play a factor. I think the game has loosened up so much, and um, you know we're a little depleted at defensive back. You know, I mean, we just have injuries, and I know about the next man up theory, but I, I, I think that you can't. I've heard Coach Reed say this: you cannot have enough good cover guys, and so it, it's just it's part of the game now. I mean, people are giving up huge amounts of yards. Yeah. Well, you know, we're really good on third down. You know, we're kind of a bend, don't break. You know, so, but I, I again, you know, New England, I think, felt like they could move the ball enough late in the game, honestly, after all they hadn't punted to get what they needed to do. And sure, I'd love to see us step up and make one or two stops like all our fans would. Heck yeah. yeah. Who wouldn't? You, you, you don't met, think Bob Sutton doesn't want that? Heck oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he does. No question. <laughs> you, you mentioned, you, as Andy says, you can't have enough good cover guys. Why trade Marcus Peters? You know, I don't know much about that. You know, I, and, and I think my brother Clark would be the best spoke, spokesman for that. The only thing I can say is that every year Coach Reed will tell everyone team chemistry is so important. And every year is a different year. And for whatever reason, they may have felt like, you know, the team chemistry would be different if we just move on. And every year they make tough decisions like that. And I think that's really what it comes down to. It's not sing about singling out people. It's more about what, what team can I put together that's going to function and listen and learn and grow together. Because I know when, when the move was made, it was obviously on the heels of everybody kneeling and how that went over here. <laughs> and I saw people walking around the stadiums with FU-22 shirts on <laughs> last year because yeah. he was kneeling. Did it have anything to do with that? Does that play a factor into personnel moves? That I, I really don't know because I'm really not someone who, who would, would deal with somebody like a Marcus Peters on a day to day basis or know the impact that had. Um, I, I think the league seems to have gotten past all that. All I can speak to is I know, again, you got to trust the coach to put the team together and get the guys out there that he thinks are going to, you know, really play for a championship. Is Andy the judge, jury, and executioner with everything now inside the organization? Like everything crosses his desk and he's the guy that's making all the calls on everything? Well, now? I, I, I don't think he would want to be that kind of person. I don't think any, any leader wants to be that person. It's good to have checks and balances, and I think he's – I think one of his greatest attributes that I see is he's a really good listener. And so he's got a lot of talented coaches. He's got some good veteran players. And he's got a great GM and you know scouting staff and all those people. And I think it's all collaborative. I mean, if it's really not collaborative, where are you going to go? Right. You know, you got to – I'm sure they have meetings to wee hours of the night and morning on evaluating and putting, you know, putting the pieces together on even who to bring into training camp because there's a lot of talent out there. You mentioned the next man up thing, and that sounds like such a cliche, but I think the one thing that, that Andy and Brett and this organization have done recently, the next man up 
pretty good most of the time. Like, like 53 on the roster is just as important to them as one on the roster, and I think they do a really good job of having backups that can get in there and play. Absolutely. Here's a perspective I can give you. When I was at training camp this summer, just standing along the sidelines, there was a guy there from the Winnipeg, is it the Blue Bombers? Sure. That's we'll go the, with that. The, bas- yeah. uh, the football team? Yep. They do. They draw right. real well. Yeah. And he was a scout. And he was there, and I said, well, what are you doing here? He said, I'm scouting the bottom of your roster because you've got a lot of players on this roster that can play in the Canadian Football League. And he was he was there evaluating, making notes, you know, whatever scouts do, yeah. probably entering it into a computer, and he was sitting there and just watching. And so there's a lot of talent out there. There's a, in, in some sense, there's a lot more talent than there used to be because people are ambitious. These young men, especially in college, especially in these top 50 or 60 programs, a lot of them have a dream to play in the league, play professional football. And whether it's the NFL or they end up in the Canadian Football League, so be it. Um, I watched a couple of Canadian Football League games this summer, and I felt like the, the level of play was higher than I'd ever seen it. Again, it's, it's a really wide open game. But I felt like the level of play was like, wow, this is pretty entertaining stuff. Are you watching it as a fan or are you watching it to say, hey, maybe that guy can play for us? <laughs> Occasionally that crosses my mind. You ever call Andy and go, hey, number 87 <laughs> for Winnipeg can really get after it. About the only thing I've ever done is maybe at a college game say, this player sort of stood out or I'll ask somebody, like, I saw Mississippi State play. Oh, no, we know they're loaded. They got a lot of really good players. They played against K-State. And yeah. They, they kind of manhandled K-State. And I said, they look loaded. Oh, no, they got some good players. We know about them. And so I, I have to assume these scouts are doing their job. <laughs> look, look, just take credit. You called him and said, there's a kid wearing number five at Texas Tech that can throw the football around. <laughs> you should consider him, right? I saw him play in college. And, yeah, so yeah. you were the one who made the call on I, him, I right? think they already knew. Oh, they knew about him already. <laughs> what do you think when I say, I feel like anyway, there's a sense of urgency to try to win a title for Coach Reed before he retires. Being where he is, how long he's been coaching, do you guys have that like sense of urgency? We got to do this for Andy. We want to do this for Andy. How about for Andy and the Hunt family okay. and, and the community of Kansas City? I mean, I think there's that sense of urgency on a personal level for Coach Reed. Although, again, he's a team guy. He would never put himself above anything else. But I mean, I think for the community, I think for our family, I think for what this team means to the. The, what we call the Chiefs Kingdom, I think there is that sense of urgency. It's been a long time, and um, it, would, it, would, it would just tickle us all. I mean, I don't even know what the word would be. We would be just so elated if we were just to get to the game. would be fantastic. Elated or sense of relief? Well, we have won a Super Bowl, right. and, we've, and we've had some really good teams that maybe could have won a Super Bowl. I think if you were Detroit or Cleveland, there would be an incredible sense of relief of finally even getting to a Super Bowl. But I think if we get there, it, it would sort of justify, I mean, a great career for Andy. He's had a great career. He's a great coach. But again, I think he, I think it's for the community. When you see what the Royals did with that uh, 2015 World Series, it just brings everybody together. This is a very unique sports city. I mean, I've traveled enough to different communities and seen different franchises we've got something really special here with with the professional sports that we have that you do not see in a lot of markets did did the royals run in 14 and 15 light a fire under you guys a little bit too and go man what if that's us (laughs) well i mean you do it a little different in baseball and they have a little different uh salary structure you know how they did it 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 was sort of a genius how they did it they 
sort of built it built it through the draft and the farm system and the minor league system and all that sort of thing. I mean, in the NFL, you're capable of putting together a fairly good team pretty darn quickly. But again, it's quarterback driven, and you got to have a guy that's super talented. And we're 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 there. We're, we're there with a guy that's sort of. You know, doesn't know failure, and that's good. <laughs> I'm starting to get the feels of 2014 and 2015 that we had with the Royals, with the Chiefs right now. I had a lot of people come up to me recently and start telling me stories about how they remember going with their dad and how happy their dad would be, and they still have the same yeah. seats, and they got a brick out front. Like, just all of these kind of reminiscing stories that we were hearing through those runs of 14 and 15 with the Royals, and I'm starting to get the feel like the fans are bought into this. The fans, oh, yeah. The fans feel like, this is finally it for us. We're finally going to get that monkey off our back. Sure. Uh, no, no matter what, we're going to be a whole lot of fun, and we're going to be real competitive, and we're going to play great football this season, and it's going to be, it's going to be great at the end. Yeah, I think, I think I see it all over the place. People want to talk about it all the time. It's crazy. Everywhere yeah. you go now, Mahomes is. this, Mahomes that, yeah. even not in Kansas City. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Again, the evidence of my friendships from all over the United States, it's just – People are watching it, they're engaged, and they're like, wow, this is so exciting. So happy for you guys. Yeah. You, you mentioned a unique sports city. What, what's unique about Kansas City? What makes this a special sports town, a special place to own a team? I think our, our fans are passionate. Uh, yeah, you know, there's always fans that become disgruntled or unhappy when you lose. But I think we don't have that depth that we that we you see in some communities. I remember last year going to the New York Giants Chiefs game, a game we lost, and it was just I, I don't if there were twenty thousand people in that stadium they were exaggerating. I could be wrong. But it looked and I'm thinking, golly, I would take one of their Super Bowls or a couple of their Super Bowls. I mean they have a great tradition mm-hmm. and it seems like I don't wanna, you know, label the Giants fans fair weather fans, but it's like you support your team and I think here what I see is people support the team. You know, through thick and thin, they really have over the years, especially really since Marty Schottenheimer came here. You know, there sure. was definitely a drought in the eight, in the 80s. I mean, Marv Levy did a very good job, but from, from when Marty Schottenheimer came till now, the fans in this city have been remarkable. You know, they really have lived and died with this team, and we don't get a lot of that fair weatherness that you see, I think, in other markets. I think Carl and Marty did an amazing job when they were together, and even with Dick of making Arrowhead like you didn't want to miss it. You had to be there. You yeah. felt like you were going to miss something if you weren't there. And the way that they created that from the minute Carl came in and Marty became the head coach and carried it all the way really through Carl's tenure, you 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 wanted to be an Arrowhead. You didn't yeah. know why, but you, you wanted to be there, afraid to miss something. Well, a game production took on a, a new sort of meeting, you know, how, how, you, how, how things went on during the game and the production of the game. And that was something that I think Carl and the staff did a really good job of. Obviously, we we talked a little bit about this off the air, I think, but uh, Casey Wolf was introduced at that time, yep. and so that, that it made the, it made it fun, and we became one of the first teams to really make it fun. Make let's make the whole day about just having fun, maybe escaping the troubles that you got in your life because everybody brings those around with them, and just come out and have a great day of entertainment. That's the way sports was, and then obviously the, the whole kneeling thing with Colin Kaepernick kind of infested. I don't want to use the term infested because that's the wrong term to use, but but got in and all of a sudden you couldn't escape the everyday life of politics and stuff in sport. And it seems like we're back now to where football is becoming an yeah. escape again. Yeah. How did you guys grab that back and be, make football an escape again? 
Boy, I, I don't necessarily know the answer right off the top of my head, but I mean, I think there are a lot of engaging games this year, a lot of engaging young quarterbacks that are playing the game. Um, I think the game is more wide open. I think the rules have allowed for some of that. I mean, Breland Speaks would love to have just finish that play, but I think he probably thought, oh, God, he got rid of the ball. Yep. And, oh, he looks up, he goes, oh, no, he ran it in, <laughs> essentially. So, um, but those sorts of things, I, I think sometimes people get confused, they get emotional about a thing, and obviously something like that's going to bring out passion in both sides. Um, I mean, there's people in this country that are very passionate about our country and the nationalism and what the United States flag means. And obviously the, the, our company, country has issues that we need to deal with, we need to tackle, we need to address you know, some of the stuff that's going on. And, and hopefully those two are not mutually exclusive, they can be one and the same. You know, the flag stands for freedom, well let's figure out how we can help people achieve that, that freedom that they want in their lives. How do you feel about sports being a leader in the political side of things? And, the, and, 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 and maybe not the political, like vote for this guy, but you know, the political you know, discussion that's going on in this country right now. Well, it seems like politics is going to enter into everything at this point. So we need to do the good and wise things in those areas. And you know, what is the, what is the best thing? Well, what we talked about with charities other, let's get involved, let's roll up our sleeves, let's go out and make a difference. Uh, you know, I think Gandhi said basically, go make a difference in somebody's life. Be the change you want to see, right? Now, I can't solve all the social problems personally, but I know if our foundation is helping kids at a school like Bishop Ward go to high school there on a scholarship, and those kids are going to go to college, and they're, they're going to they're gonna have a different outcome for their life. That's the way we've chosen to address it. There's a million different ways players and coaches and staff and, and the NFL can get involved. It's mentoring. We know that mentoring works. That's what the Chiefs are doing with a program called City Year. Where City Year, they go in and they have mentors for kids that are at risk at certain grades and ages and really helps those kids. You know, if you can't read, you're going to be in trouble in life. So let's get them up to where they can read and let's try to address the a climate around them, the atmosphere, the family atmosphere. Can we help them solve some of those problems or help the mothers or dads become better parents? That's the way you do the change. And, and I think that's what we're trying to do here in Kansas City. I, I think that the, the social justice side of things has opened a lot of folks' eyes and ways to get out there and help and, and do more. And I think, you know, you may not agree with Colin Kaepernick taking a knee or Marcus Peters taking a knee or anybody else taking a knee, but at the end of the day, we're seeing results and things happen that may not have happened if that didn't happen. Yeah, true, true. I mean, but again, I, I go back to what Gandhi says. Just become that instrument of change that you want to go see. Go go help your neighbor, you know, whatever it may be. I remember reading a story about a family whose father died, and the neighbors came over and they polished all the shoes. And the neighbors looked at the, the, the family, they had a lot of kids, and they said, well, this is one thing we knew you could do because you know, you know you're going to go to church for your dad's funeral. And we just came and helped in some little way. It's, it's the little ways that really help, not the, the big grandstanding thing is it can get attention, but it's really the little person-to-person, -person, um, what we really call in, in the faith that I have, the Catholic faith, holy moments, right? A little holy moment, just a helping hand, the olive branch, if you will. Can I just help you in some way? Right. Where do you see the future of the NFL? You you, you happy with the direction, or what do you think? Um, I am, personally. I, I, I think that we have to figure out as a league how to deliver the product. 
and I think you know this being in your industry, whether it's radio, television, social media, it's so fragmented now. I've sat with several different business owners in sponsorship discussions. How do we, how do we reach people? And I, I said, I don't really know. I'm not on social media at this point, so I don't know how you would reach me. I still read a newspaper. Um, I have a, a magazine that comes to the house that I read. Um, I'll occasionally um, watch some news on television, but I'm not dialed into the latest and greatest news through social media. So I think the NFL, like all sports, has to find the, the optimum way to deliver the games to the fans, and the fan base is changing because it gets a little, as it ages out a little bit, the younger people are going to consume it a little differently. They're going to watch it on a phone, something I just can't imagine. Um, they're going to watch it on an iPad. They're going to watch it on their computer. I have young adult children. That's how they watch Chiefs games is on their computers. Nobody has cable TV. Traditional radio has is, is, is got a lot of competition because you've got satellite radio, right? And so it's, these nets are so wide, it's hard to know how to catch people. And so I think the NFL is, is working through that. I think part of the, rela- the, the ratings decrease was related to people just cutting the cord. I agree, yeah. Plain and simple. You know, we have a, a home, uh, a little condo in Dallas, privileged to have that, but we cut the cable there and we just have Hulu. You know, we're not there enough to justify ramping all that up. If we want to watch an NFL game, we can do it through that, through that, through that means, and it's, it's a lot less expensive. So, um, and I think a lot of people are just looking at those options, especially young people. Well, I think the NFL did a brilliant job back in 71 or whenever they had the first TV deals, and they put all the games on free over-the-air TV. Like, the the NFL has made it so easy for me, the fan, to consume the product. Baseball, you got to pay and search for. NBA, you got to pay and search for. Hockey, you got to pay and search for. Football is the only thing where if I'm a Chiefs fan and I live in Kansas City, I can get every game for free, and I don't think that should ever change because I think if you guys change that model, yeah. then you really risk losing. Well, the and, I agree, and I agree with you, and I think as long as the sponsors are willing to flock and sponsor those programs in those ways, and I, I think we're, we're, you know it, that'll be that way for a very long time. Um, I mean, why did they change the? I said this earlier: the Sunday night game to the Chiefs and the Bengals. Sunday night NFL football is the highest-rated TV show period yeah so we're going to put our most attractive game on that in that time slot that's the way it works so the nfl's obviously very savvy in all this stuff but there is that question of delivery i mean i have a son who lives in baltimore and he he watches the red zone that's how he he gets the games and there you know he's been doing some chili cooking off and chili competitions on his weekends and Uh they have the games on on the red zone so he can watch this and watch the scores here and watch this and watch that so that's how he does it and there's there's 20 people with him doing this so it's a little different way (laughs) all right future of uh of kansas city when it comes to your facilities both the royals and chiefs those leases up are faster than we know about 12 years to they are up what do you think the future is of the sports complex and for you guys um, my goodness, the parking is so wonderful there for both baseball and yeah. football. <laughs> I love it, so I hope we we keep doing what we're doing. Um, it's hard to have a crystal ball on that sort of thing. I do think that um, certain NFL teams have have uh, you know wish they have smaller stadiums, a little bit more things like that. I, I noticed in Cleveland the other day. Um, just glancing at where they playing the Chargers, I think there were a lot of empty seats there. 
Um, so sometimes maybe the smaller, more intimate venues. The thing is that stadiums are very expensive to build. Um, so I, I think in Kansas City, we love what we have. It was it was visionary when it happened. Quite frankly, when I travel around to other stadiums and other teams, it's still visionary. Just try parking at the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. Oh my gosh, it's not fun, um, you know. And so we have really a great thing going on here. I really do. We ever gonna get a Super Bowl here? Oh gosh, I don't know. It depends on the winner, right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, again, my brother Clark is probably something that keeps his time occupied with that. I think it could be a great thing. You know, I think there's uh, certain conditions the league has. I don't think they should be too onerous on us. Um, you know, the risk here is we play that game and it's too below. You know, and that would be unpleasant. But I think we had a game not too long ago, an outdoor game where it was pretty miserable. Yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, maybe in New York. Yeah, New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it can be done. It can be done. Um, I, I would promote it. Let's let's do it. I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> Thanks, Lamar. I appreciate Thank you. your time. Good to see you. Good to see you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lamar Hunt Jr. As you can see, he's truly not only changing Kansas City with his philanthropic work, but he's changing the sports scene as well. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.